in stocks today with all the major averages closing up more than 1%. Debt ceiling optimism and a pop in regional banks fueling those moves. That is the scorecard on Wall Street. But the action is just getting started as we await a pair of big earnings from Cisco and Take-Two Interactive. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan with John Ford, who is at ServiceNow's Knowledge Event in Las Vegas. Yeah, we got a lot of news happening at this event, including ServiceNow announcing a partnership with chipmaker uh, and AI platform maker NVIDIA to build generative AI applications for enterprise software. Coming up, we're going to speak exclusively with the CEOs, Bill McDermott and Jensen Wong. Must watch interviews, but let's get straight into today's market action with our first guest, Chris Harvey from Wells Fargo. Joining us now, Chris, great to have you on. I do want to get your thoughts on the moves we saw today in the markets. And I know we keep talking about day in, day out, the, the tight trading range of the S&P. But are, are we seeing some sort of momentum here that, that could break us out of this range? Yeah. Morgan, sorry to let you down. I'm going to say no. It, it was a heck of a day, especially if you're a regional bank. Big move up, some positive news out of that space. Obviously, that helped the rest of the market. But we still think we're in a trading range. We still think the macro is going to start to weigh over things. We think people are getting too excited about the debt ceiling in the short term. And, and we think that there's probably some more downside as we go forward in time. All right. You put out a new note today focusing on funding and liquidity. You said it's funding and liquidity, not earnings and fundamentals that are driving the rally we've seen since the start of the year in the S&P 500. Break it down for me. Yeah. So, Morgan, if you go back to mid-March, right, from mid-March to mid-April, that's basically the whole return of the S&P 500. What happened then? Well, you had the Fed providing liquidity. The balance sheet shrank. We had some funding programs. In addition to that, the 10-year yield went down 50 basis points. We saw IG credit spreads go from a peak of, I think, 163 um, down about 30 basis points. Was it the fundamentals? No, it really was the funding cost. It was liquidity. What have we done since the middle of April? A whole lot of nothing. What have we done since earnings season has, has started? A whole lot of nothing. Really, for us, it was about funding, it was about liquidity, and it was about lower rates. It wasn't about the fundamentals. So the next move from here is a move lower. Does that mean that, that we are still in this bear market, or, or is a new bull market actually started here? So we called the end of the bear market a couple months ago. This is not a, a bear market rally. Is it the beginning of a bull market? Hard for us to say because valuations are so high. We do think the S&P ends at 4,200, right? But with that price target, there's not a whole lot of upside for us at this point in time. So we think there's opportunity in the market, mid-cap growth, median entertainment. But overall, there's just not a lot of upside. And we do think, again, as we move through earnings season, as the macro starts to take hold, we think there's probably more downside in the short term than the upside. Interesting. So I want to dig into that opportunity a little bit more. You just mentioned media and entertainment. It's been an area that's actually been pretty hard hit, at least in recent weeks and, and mid-cap. What specifically are you looking for in terms of opportunity? As far as opportunity, when we look at mid-cap growth, what we see are valuations about 16 times. We see a sector that's been derated on a fundamental and on a, a, a price basis. And we see a space that's not really picked over at this point in time. And that can give you pretty easily 10% growth over the next 12 months. So a lot of opportunity there, not a lot of stretch valuations, which we do see in the broader market. 
and you have really stable earnings. So I think it's a fantastic risk reward. And just to bring this full circle, the optimism we did see in trading today around the debt ceiling, why are you skeptical? And what's yeah. the broader read through if and when we do get a deal, which is consensus, Right. Uh, for the markets. Well, you really have to listen to the politicians and what they say. And they're masters at spinning a narrative. They're masters at, at, at really talking to the media. If you listen to McCarthy, he said, hey, we can get a deal done. Not a problem. A couple days. Right. I have that same conversation with my son. Hey, we can go to the park. Not a problem. But you have to clean up your room. What he didn't say is, hey, it's not a problem as long as the Democrats come to our side, as long as the, the conditions that we put on the table are met. So we're not so optimistic that things are going to get done. We think it's going to get a little bit more tenuous as, as we go forward in time. We do think a deal gets done, but we don't think we think it's too optimistic at this point in time. OK, so we sit on our hands. <laughs> we Chris, sit on our hands. Chris Harvey from Wells Fargo. Thanks for kicking off the hour. Thank you. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now, also from the New York Stock Exchange. Hi, Mike. Hey, Morgan. Yeah, I can't sit on my hands and need him to draw on the chart here. Take a look at the, uh, the last year or so in the S&P 500 relative to some other areas of the market that have not kept up, at least recently, the equal-weighted S&P as well as the Russell 2000. Now, both of those had good days today, outperforming the market cap-weighted S&P. But a couple of things to pull away. One, we're positive now on the S&P on a 12-month trailing basis. And when we've gone from negative uh, on a yearly basis up to positive returns, typically it's been a, a pretty vaguely bullish sign going forward. Uh, and this is what people have been concerned about, though, there. That's the, uh, the impact of the very largest stocks in the S&P, uh, kind of having the market cap weighted gauge race ahead of the others. Uh, I'm not as worried about it unless it really gets much wider. It does show you that this has been a stingier market, not as generous to most companies. We're definitely registering some cyclical concerns. But so far, to me, it feels like it's in the regular ebb and flow. It's only been in the last few months that's been extreme. Now, we're talking about the consumer today quite a bit. Some slightly reassuring numbers from Target in terms of top line and in terms of what they had to say about uh, sales trends going forward. Here's what it looks like, though. Walmart coming tomorrow. Walmart is basically a consumer staple stock, both in definition, because it is in that sector, and in behavior. You see, it's basically been exactly that over the last uh, couple of years, whereas Target, more discretionary, has taken its medicine. And I think that's been a big part of this lesson I've been harping on. It's traded along with consumer discretionary, which itself has already tried to price in a more moderating uh, trend in terms of what the consumer can do for this economy in the next uh, few quarters, Morgan. Gotcha. So, so if you see commentary coming out of Walmart tomorrow or you see a, a guide of some sort or, or, or data point of some sort that, that misses in a meaningful way, does that then become uh, a bigger impact on the market, not only because Walmart's a Dow component, but because it has been behaving more defensively and performing uh, better than its peer and target? I mean, it certainly could be just because of the mechanical impact, although I would say if, if money starts to flow out of things like consumer staples and Walmart, uh, it, it may well be because people feel as if discretionary has a moment in the sun. So uh, I would want to look for why they would guide in a certain direction. Is it going to be because they're not going to take as much pricing? That could probably be bullish if you're talking about the Fed outlook uh, or, you know, if, they, if they've cleared inventory uh, and feel as if they have a cleaner outlook. That's probably uh, a plus, too. It's not a cheap stock, certainly, but it rarely has been. All right. Mike Santoli, thank you. And, of course, uh, 
The small caps were the big outperformer today as well, up uh, two and a quarter percent. Well, Cisco earnings are out. Frank Holland has the numbers for us. Hi, Frank. Hey there, Morgan. Cisco shares moving almost a percent and a half higher after beats on the top and the bottom line. Profit three cents above the estimate. Cisco also offering Q4 guidance above estimates. Overall, strong beat for the entire quarter with Cisco's largest segment, Secure and Agile Networks. That's networking systems and routers, et cetera, beating estimates. And this year of efficiency for tech, also a strong margin beat. I spoke with the CFO, Scott Heron, about that margin expansion, as well as supply chain issues that he said were easing. He said in part, we did two price actions last year. We increased pricing, but because we've been shipping out of the backlog, a lot of what we had shipped until last quarter were orders that predated those price increases. So as you can see, Cisco maintaining pricing power as the issues in its supply chain and sourcing from China is easing. So again, beats on the top and the bottom line. Cisco shares moving higher after that report. Back over to you. Yeah, and certainly orders a key focus for investors here. All right, Frank Holland, thank you. Don't miss Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins. That's tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Money. Still ahead, ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott and NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang discuss their new AI partnership in an exclusive interview. Plus, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman on the future of sports broadcast rights on the eve of the league's conference finals. Overtime's back in two. Welcome back. Take Two Interactive earnings are out, and Steve Kovac has the numbers. Hi, Steve. Hey, Morgan. Yeah, shares going up about 6% on this. Uh, EPS coming in at a loss of $3.62 a share. Now, that is not comparable to Wall Street's estimates, but revenue was a beat, $1.39 billion versus the $1.34 billion expected. And guidance is a little light here, $5.45 billion for the to $5.55 billion for the entire year. The street was looking for a $6 billion for the rest of the fiscal year, Morgan. Uh, John, I'll send it back over to you. All right, Steve, thank you. And uh, as you might have mentioned, that stock up 6.5% at the moment after hours. Speaking of stocks being higher, ServiceNow shares getting a nice pop earlier today. I am here at the company's Knowledge 2023 conference in Las Vegas. Uh, investors have been looking at several announcements. There was an analyst day. Uh, there's a billion dollar commitment to, uh, to ventures and AI strategy, as well as its first buyback program. Let's bring in Bill McDermott, ServiceNow's chairman and CEO. Bill, thanks for, for sitting down. Thank you um, for it's me, good John. to be out here at Knowledge. So um, as part of Analyst Day, you revised your guide on subscription revenue to uh, 10.5 billion constant currency down from 11, free cash flow to 31% down from 33. But the stock was up more than 5% because right. I presume people were like, oh, well, he can really do this. Yes. Talk about the headwinds that you have seen and how generative AI you expect is going to temper that and allow you to keep growing. Right. Well, John, you know, we're the fastest company in the history of enterprise software to get to a seven billion number. And so now, as you said, we've already said we'll be ten and a half billion. And I gave a vision for 20 billion. Uh, so everybody can see that ServiceNow is a sensation and enterprise service management. If you think about the brands that are here, we got literally near 20,000 companies here, which is pretty amazing. And when you think about what they're trying to do, they want a one XYZ company architecture that can, on an end-to-end basis, digitally transform their business. Mm. And ServiceNow has become that sensational platform 
of this century. So speaking of that, we've got a lot of retail news this week. Last week, you announced that you're acquiring G2K, which has this IoT uh, technology for the retail business. You say you're going to allow this to uh, tie in the retail location to their back-end enterprise systems. Yeah. Now, we, we had uh, Target and TJX reporting this morning. We see a weakening consumer. These companies need to save on costs. Yeah. How does the combination of your technology, if it does, how does it address that? Right. And what's your vision for how you want to partner with retail into the future? Sure. As you know, you know, G2K is IoT. It's all about generative AI. So we've been on an AI mission and building that into the ServiceNow platform for many years, which is why we're so far ahead of everybody else, which is why Jensen and NVIDIA have wholly endorsed ServiceNow as one example. G2K in the retail industry will reinvent retail. So if you think about camera technology, um, what's going on in the aisle, what's going on in fresh foods, what's going on in checkout, everything then becomes a big data story and if you use the power of AI now, real-time decisions can be made to help employees execute better, to help suppliers supply better, and ultimately retailers to sell more and spend less so they drive margins and profitability. So this is a business story. And when you think about AI empowering people to do business, that's where ServiceNow is at. Speaking of doing business, I want to bring in one of your partners now, who we've got on the line, Gary Bettman, a longtime NHL, National Hockey League Commissioner. Um, and, and we're getting into the thick, really, uh, of the end of the playoffs, down to four teams. Gary, tell me about how technology, and maybe particularly service now, but how technology is important to the next phase of business for the NHL. We're in a situation with you know, a lot of arenas, you don't know actually who's coming to the game. You don't know how to get them to come back necessarily. Uh, you want to tie systems together perhaps. What is your strategic approach to software, to data uh, with the NHL? We, we have become completely technologically and data driven. Uh, in, in fact, if you talk to Sponsor United, they said that we've emerged as the leader in broadcast virtual signage, and I think seven of the ten most active advertisers in that space are advertising with us uh, because we're so effective. But, but let's take a step back. Yes, we're very excited about where we are in the playoffs with the conference finals beginning, but we're excited to have announced today our multi-year partnership with ServiceNow because ServiceNow is going to enable us to leverage the power of the ServiceNow platform to enhance our game day operations, to stream blind productivity, and to support new connectivity with our fans to enhance their experience. Uh, and so everything we're doing around the game, whether it's puck and player tracking, or digitally enhanced dashboards, or virtual insertions in the ice, we need an application, a solution that brings together all of the technology that's driving our game right now. Gary, it's Morgan. Just, just to dig a little further into that, given the fact that this conversation between John and, and Bill started around AI, I, I know that artificial intelligence is used as some of the data collection for the league, but when we talk about AI capabilities, what does that mean for the future? How are you thinking about that, particularly in terms of this partnership? Well, two things. One, 
when it comes to running our business uh, efficiently and making sure that all of our technology is working and working efficiently, this, the ServiceNow uh, now platform is going to help us dramatically. It'll also enable us to marshal better the connective data we have with our fans uh, and take us to the next level. The game has never been faster, more skilled, more competitive. And what we're doing with that technology is enabling our fans to get closer to the experience. And the best that we can do is be efficient with all of this data and how we use it and how we're connecting with our fans. Yeah, I want to shift to the future of sports broadcast rights. Um, you've got regional sports networks facing a, a number of challenges right now. How does it speak to the money that will be available to the league and to the teams themselves as they sell rights to future hockey games? Uh, frankly, still, no matter what happens with the regionals, the most valuable programming right now is live sports. It's predictable, it's valuable, you reach the right demographics. Uh, we're in the second year of our newer media arrangements with ESPN, Disney, and with Warner Brothers Discovery Turner, and our ratings are up, our viewership is up, and what we're finding is fans are looking for more and more ways to consume and connect with the game. And data is part of that connection because as more and more data is migrating to the cloud, what we're seeing is fans trying to customize their experience getting deeper into the game. And ultimately, I think you're going to see the ability of fans to customize their own viewing experience. So I think the future for live sports has never been brighter or more valuable. All right, uh, well, Bill, you heard what Gary just said there yes. about his data needs. We were just talking about retail and these arenas are retailing locations, right? And then you've yep. got people who want to buy, how does your retail work and your sports work right. come together with the data, with the AI models that you're trying to build ideally right. and make you better? Yeah, I think, first of all, I want to acknowledge my great friend Gary Bettman. Him and I have been friends together for a long time. <laughs> and the first time that we met, we did a 20th century architecture for NHL. And Gary was ahead of the curve then. We have now stair-stepped that into a 21st century platform. So to your point, John, what does that mean? The fan experience, these fans want to be immersed with their favorite players. They want to love on their teams. They want to buy merchandise in the stadium. They want to have special treatment, especially if they're a box um, owner or something like that, where they simply want to have something served to them instead of waiting on lines. That whole fan experience is going to be done on service now to fully empower the fan to be in step with the team minute to minute, not only in the stadium, but when they leave the stadium or when they're on the way to the stadium. And I think that that is a step function change. The other thing that Gary's done with his vision is to have his employee experience be the bedrock of success for the NHL. So they have all the information on their fingertips, on their mobile, what they need to do to provide that in-game experience, to run a great operation. If there is a security issue, an operations issue, a failure of some kind, he wants immediate response. All that's gonna be done on the ServiceNow platform. So John, okay. we've been saying this for a long time. There is only one end-to-end -end platform for enterprise transformation in this marketplace today if you want to do it in the cloud and it's service now all right 
we're, we're definitely at knowledge. I'm feeling it. And we'll see how all that shows up in the knowledge, <laughs> in, the, in the numbers. Uh, Gary, uh, thank you. Gary Bettman, uh, the NHL commissioner. Thanks for being with us here on Overtime. And Bill, of course, thanks thank for you. having me here thank at you, Knowledge. Thank you, John. All right, ServiceNow also announcing an AI partnership with chipmaker NVIDIA today. Up next, the CEO, Jensen Huang, is going to join us in an exclusive interview along with Bill McDermott. We'll be right back. It's very much a double double-edged sword. I think in, it's there's there's a, there's a strong probability that it will make life much better, uh, and that we'll have an age of abundance. Um, and and there's some chance that it goes wrong, um, and uh, destroys humanity. Hopefully that chance is small, but it's not zero. Um, and so I think we want to take whatever actions we can think of to minimize the probability that AI goes wrong. That's Elon Musk last night during his sit-down with our David Faber. Now, I spoke exclusively with NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang earlier today, along with ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott. And I started off asking what they thought about Musk's warning on AI. Take a listen. The industry is spending the necessary and the appropriate amount of time to talk about the peril. There's plenty of technology that we're creating to enable new capabilities for generative AI. But we have to put equal, if not more, emphasis into developing technology for safe AI. All of the technologies associated with guard railing, human feedback reinforcement learning, RLHF, vector databases that are connected to these large language models so that they don't hallucinate. All of those technologies and more are created for this very reason. And we're gonna to have to advance, the amount of technology that's advancing in this space is just literally daily, and I'm so excited to see computer scientists dedicate themselves to the advancing of safe AI, as well as, of course, generative AI. Yeah. Uh, Bill, earlier this year, Jensen sort of previewed the DGX platform, looking to make it easier for enterprises to develop, right, uh, AI. When you look at the tools necessary to do what ServiceNow needs to do, right? To, to keep that growth rate going right. that we're always talking about. Um, what are those? Where does NVIDIA uh, fit in? And especially as we're moving from more generative focus to inferencing, right? How do you think about how you get more than your fair share of the value there? Right now, we have the platform for end-to-end -end digital transformation. And that's where everything changed. ServiceNow started in IT, but has expanded into giving employees amazing experiences, servicing customers, not only in the front, but the mid and the back office to give them an unbelievable frictionless experience. And obviously, creators that are innovating and building innovation on the platform now, with the power of generative AI, can do things faster, better, more securely than ever before. So there's a lot of talk about the downside of generative AI, but I'm at a conference here, which is a ServiceNow's knowledge event, and we're inspiring employees and customers and creators to do things that they never could do before. We also made a major announcement, and I'm proud to join NVIDIA in this regard as well, to rise up with ServiceNow, where we're training a million people because people will need to be reskilled, will need to be retooled, but there's going to be more jobs and more exciting jobs than ever before in this intelligence revolution. Okay. Uh, Jensen, I got to ask you about 
technology transfer. Because I've been covering the tech industry for a while. I remember you know, talking to you at San Jose McHenry back you know, 15 plus years ago when CUDA was first becoming a thing. And something NVIDIA has done remarkably well is take research and deep engineering concepts and make them practical in a way that investors have benefited from. I mean, look at the stock. What's your approach to AI where technology transfer goes, making sure that the technology that you're developing, whether it's in chips, whether it's in software, is actually business relevant, uh, as you know, you've managed to do with graphics, cloud, supercomputing? You were there at ground zero, in fact. Um, you know that we have reinvented computing for the first time since the IBM system 360, 60 years ago. There's a trillion dollars worth of data center infrastructure installed in the world based on that old method of doing computation. Now we have accelerated computing and we have the killer app for accelerated computing called generative AI. Um, I wanted to say something very quickly, and I'll come back and answer that, uh, about what Bill was saying. It's something really important. This partnership is a fantastic growth opportunity for both of us. ServiceNow has the platform, the world's largest enterprise customer reach, understand their challenges and the problems they want to solve to accelerate themselves, to turbocharge themselves, and they have data. So how does that affect your growth? How does that help you grow? And the reason for that is this. In combination with our, this partnership, allows them, give, gives the two of us, the engine for transforming all of that data and domain expertise into generative AI models. We're going to create together, we're going to create together hundreds of models, solving thousands of problems. And they'll be deployed, these new models, these new AI super functionalities, if you will, super apps, will be deployed on their platform. And so that's what this, this partnership is about, transforming the domain expertise and the data that ServiceNow has into AI models that are then deployed on the Now platform. To us, it gives us, for the very first time, reach into 100% of the world's largest companies. This is a very, very big deal, and so I'm very excited about it. Um, the way we do that, the reason why we have to transform, we have such a rich research organization because, as I just mentioned, we reinvented computing for the first time in 60 years. The System 360 was the most important computer the world's ever designed. Its manuals alone were used for education and college classes and textbooks for decades. Just about all of the buzzwords we use today in computing, from CPUs to DMA, were all invented, virtual memory, were all invented on the System 360. The word I.O. was invented in the word in the System 360. And so now, after 60 years, we reinvented computing. You can't do that without great research. And we realize that, and that's one of the reasons why NVIDIA has probably one of the greatest industrial research organizations in the world applied to reinventing computers. Now, AI is the next wave of computers. The way to think about the next computer is, it's this piece of software sitting on this accelerated computing system, and this computer knows any programming language. It can do anything it's instructed to do. It's a new type of computer. That's why I called it the iPhone moment. We've taken IT and we put it into the hands of literally every single consumer in the world. This is such a big deal.
I also asked Jensen about his position on M&A after he wasn't able to get ARM and how software in particular plays into that. Here's what he said. We created the DGX so that we can reinvent computers. If you look at the computers we built today, they're data center scales. We have five supercomputers in our company that are in the top 500 in the world. They write software for us, they design chips for us, they develop new, new algorithms for us. We then take that DGX data center and we disaggregate it and we integrate it into the world's CSPs and clouds and data centers and OEMs. This method of developing, inventing new computers, but then diffusing it into and integrating it into the world's data centers, this strategy was enormously complicated. Without software, you can't do this. And so this is one of the, the great stories of our company and the great strategies that we can simultaneously invent something that is bespoke and one of a kind, but then disaggregated and integrated into the world as if it was an industry standard. Now we're literally everywhere. We're in every single cloud. The AI models that Bill and the team develop could be deployed on ServiceNow platforms in any cloud that they like, on-prem if they like, anywhere they like. And so our computers are literally everywhere. Bill doesn't do a lot of M&A. You, uh, there was a big deal that you were looking to do. That did, are you going to, as this environment is tough and NVIDIA remains strong, keep pushing? with uh, technology that you see that you think adds value for you? We don't, we don't start the day uh, with M&A. We start the day with invention. You know, NVIDIA, as you know, is a, is a fundamentally inventive company. We're trying to invent something that the world has never had before. And, and so on first principles, we kind of have to build it ourselves. However, we have a super rich ecosystem and we have great computer scientists collaborators, ecosystem partners all over the world. And so uh, if there's something that, that is really, really special, and the thing that you were referring to is really, really special, and it's one of a kind, um, I, I would consider it. But otherwise, we are fundamentally an a inventing company. And uh, Morgan, I think it's really important to note here for investors, these are two growth companies in technology, right? ServiceNow on the software side, growing from a strong but relatively, I mean, they're not a mega scale company at this stage. NVIDIA certainly is, put it right up against Tesla. I think it's up something like close to 100% year to date. People are really beginning to believe that these companies are gonna figure things out in this AI era. They're working together and the idea that they're putting together these AI models in software, working with each other, I'm gonna be watching very closely how and whether that works. I think investors should too. Yeah, to your point, I mean, NVIDIA hitting a, a fresh 52-week high today, and yes, it has doubled since the start of the year. Both of these stocks up sizably today. I'll tell you, John, what really perked my ears up was this idea of reinventing computing for the first time uh, in, in six decades since the IBM System 360, which I know well because it powered the Apollo program and is literally what put <laughs> men on the moon. So the idea that we're entering this new era uh, that is unlike anything we've seen in, in decades uh, is certainly, I, I mean, you can see why investors are excited about this. Yeah, and these are two interesting leaders. Bill, of course, ran SAP for quite a while and then came over to ServiceNow. So he knows enterprise software from a pretty long trajectory. And then Jensen went from, you know, graphics chips 
to figuring out cloud, uh, to figuring out how that moves, you know, into AI and beyond. So um, we'll keep tracking them for sure here on Overtime. Yeah, the intelligence revolution, quote unquote. Great stuff, John. Up next, we will discuss how the regional banking crisis is impacting other financial institutions. The chairman of the National Credit Union Administration joins us after this break. Welcome back to Overtime. It is time now for a CNBC News update with Kate Rogers. Hi, Kate. Hey there, Morgan. Here is your CNBC News update at this hour. A judge ordering disgraced Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes to report to a Texas prison on May 30th. This comes after yesterday an appeals court rejected her bid to stay out of prison while she appeals her case. She was also ordered to pay $452 million in restitution to her victims. The top federal prosecutor in Massachusetts will submit her resignation to the president. It comes after a report found Rachel Rollins committed serious ethical misconduct when she used her position to try to help a fellow Democrat get elected to a district attorney position. Rollins reportedly gave journalists a non-public, sensitive DOJ information to create the impression the Democrat's opponent would be investigated for public corruption. And the daytime Emmy Awards have been postponed until the end of the Hollywood writers' strike. The 50th annual award show was supposed to take place on June 16th. Also today, a coalition of eight professional sports unions said they stand in solidarity with the writers and believe they deserve a fair contract. Morgan, back over to you. Kate Rogers, thank you. This week, we've heard testimony from key players in the recent bank failure crisis from C-suite executives to regulators, including that of Todd Harper, who joins us now. He's a voting member of the Financial Stability Oversight Council, and he's chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. Thank you so much for being with us, Chairman. Uh, I, I do want to start with specifically the impact of everything we've seen uh, with the banking turmoil, whether it's uh, deposit flight or whether it is the risks, the growing risks we've seen around liquidity and around interest rates, how that's been affecting this portion uh, of the financial sector. Uh, so, Morgan, first, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. Uh, second, though, to get to your question, and really in particular, the system is safe and sound and secure. Uh, I, I want to emphasize that nobody has ever lost a single penny of insured shares at either a federally insured credit union or at a federally insured bank. Uh, and so the system is safe. At the hearings that we had yesterday, we spent a lot of time trying to focus on who was to blame. Certainly, there were bankers here who made bad decisions over and over and over again. Regulators could have done a better job of when they saw the problems, escalating the problems sooner. Um, that would have helped to contain the problems that we, we saw. But we also had a discussion of what's next. And, and certainly we have on the table new liquidity standards, potentially new capital standards, potentially. And certainly there's even been some discussion about deposit insurance uh, and whether there should be modifications done for that. So, so what is your take on that in terms of what's on the table and what's next? What would make the most sense? So I, I think one thing that um, uh, the FDIC's report laid it out pretty clearly is that if we were to have unlimited coverage, that creates a lot of moral hazard in the system. And it really would not, it would incent people to take 
bad risks over and over again. And I don't think any of us really want that. You could also just uh, make a decision to slightly raise the current $250,000 limit to a higher number. I'm not sure that that's the right answer either because the vast majority of deposits are well under that $250,000 uh, limit. The area that actually has intrigued me the most is with the small business transaction accounts, the accounts that are used to pay payroll and perhaps providing broader coverage there. There I think that there could be a case made for. Certainly, though, it's up to lawmakers to make that decision. If they were to make that decision, we'd want to make sure that there's parity between the National Credit Union Share Insurance Fund and the FDIC's Deposit Insurance Fund. Okay. I mean, have you seen, though, have you seen deposit flight when it comes to the credit union system? I realize it's a two, almost $2.2 trillion is what we're talking about in total assets. Um, so, so a fraction of what we've seen in the banks. Um, but, but has there been any kind of impact or any kind of, any kind of shift in light of everything that's gone on? So we've got about a 10% consumer base of consumer deposits are within the credit union system. In terms of deposit flight, we've actually not seen it. Uh, recent quarters, we've seen large uh, quarter-over-quarter growth and year-over-year -year growth in shared deposits. In fact, we've seen some of the strongest growth. That's moderated recently, uh, particularly as the pandemic programs have expired. But overall, uh, we, we have not seen any decrease on our side of the aisle. I think that is a testament to the faith that the people understand the value of the cooperative credit union system. Okay. Todd Harper, the NCUA chairman, thank you for joining today in what's been a busy week, uh, including your testimony on the Hill. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, Morgan, up next, former Salesforce co-CEO Keith Block is going to join me on the state of enterprise software. He's going to tell us where he sees some of the biggest opportunities in that industry when we come right back on Overtime. Welcome back. Former Salesforce co-CEO Keith Block recently launched a new venture fund, Smith Point, uh, with a focus on investing in enterprise software. Keith joins me here. Great to have you. So last month you announced Fund One, $400 million, uh, ServiceNow Ventures as an anchor in that, which I presume is why you're here. What, what I wonder is, since you're looking at growth stage, which is shortly before a lot of companies go public, Tell me, in this crazy macro environment, when there's a lot more focus on operational rigor, what are the filters in particular that you're using? Because I think our viewers and retail investors can, can get a lot from that as they look at what they should be investing in. Yeah, thanks. John, first of all, it's great to be here, so appreciate that. And yes, here at Knowledge, kind of a crazy environment, lots of people going by. Uh, and of course, we, we made our big announcement and our partnership with ServiceNow, so we're thrilled and you know, grateful to Bill McDermott and the team over at ServiceNow. Um, it's been a frothy 24 months. What we're seeing is that these private company CEOs, whether it's early stage or late stage, uh, these people are really looking for guidance and wisdom uh, and operational rigor. They understand the importance of it. If you think about what's happened over the last 24 months, they've been whipsawed from grow at all costs to cut all costs. So that, that operational discipline that we bring at Smith Point is, is very, very important. And we don't just look at financial fitness. That's a very important foundation, which is traditionally what the investment firms will look at when they evaluate a company to invest in. But we're looking at the talent level, the culture, the product market fit, the messaging, the pricing, the packaging, all the operations of a company, not just the financial rigor, because we think that's important to build great companies. What about triaging on time to value for where we should look at how companies are focusing their resources? 
Well, look, it's an interesting time. And, and one could say that certainly in 2023, uh, it's largely over. Companies need to survive. They've been traumatized over what's happened over the last 24 months. I mean, think about what's happened with the global pandemic and the macro, micro, macro environment, et cetera, uh, the social unrest. These companies, they're making decisions that have to be focused on 2024. Every decision they make right now is all about 2024. And it's about smart growth. It's about operational rigor. It's, it's about accelerating time to value, as you suggest, but that means you don't cut innovation. Mm. And you're smart about how you invest in growth. Those have to be prioritized if you want to thrive and survive, because when the economy turns in 2024, you want your company to be in a position to capitalize on these investments. So you're positioned for growth. So you're positioned for taking share. What about rule of 40? Orlando Bravo was telling us on overtime a couple of months ago, eh, not so Bill has liked to talk about rule of 40 at times. How valuable is that as a metric investors should look at on that balance between growth and cash flow? You know, there's a rule of 40. Sometimes it becomes a rule of 50. Sometimes it becomes a rule of 60. It's a little bit of this whipsaw effect. At the end of the day, we're here to help build companies from the inside out and build durable companies that make smart operating decisions that it will, will become great companies. That's, that's what we're involved in. So, you know, getting hung up on sort of a, a tactical metric of rule of 40, rule of 50, rule of 30, whatever it is, we're looking for companies that are gonna grow and we think about things in the long term. That's what's important. Have valuations rationalized yet? They're on their way, there's still room to go. We've been working with a company that we're taking a hard look at and the valuations, the mark has come down 50%. As companies run out of money, you're gonna see that continue. And I think that's a good thing. Things have to come back to normal. Um, well, it looks like they might be getting there rapidly, the way some of these guidance numbers look and with the uncertainty in the macro. Keith, thank you for the time. Thanks, Great John. Great down. seeing you. Appreciate it. Morgan? Thanks, John. Up next, the after earnings movers that need to be on your radar right now. Over time, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Take-Two Interactive up nearly 10% in overtime. The company reported a loss per share of more than $3.50. However, revenue did come in above Wall Street estimates. The video game maker highlighted better-than-expected results from Grand Theft Auto V and Red Dead Redemption 2. Dow component Cisco, though, moving in the other direction. That's despite beating on the top and bottom lines while increasing full-year profit guidance in a bet that demand will stay strong. Shares are now down 4%. And shares of bowling center operator Bolero throwing a strike. Those shares are popping after beating revenue estimates up 3% right now. Well, coming up next, the big takeaways from all of today's AI news. And there's been a lot of it. We'll be right back. Welcome back. AI has been the theme of the hour today with commentary from Elon Musk, Bill McDermott, Jensen Huang. John, your big takeaway. My big takeaway is that AI is now investable, but it's complicated. There's kind of three levels. There's that chips and data center infrastructure layer that's developing with the likes of NVIDIA being a player, but also AWS, uh, Microsoft, Google, etc. And then you've got We've talked about the application layer, you know, Duolingo and the likes of those we've had on overtime. But then there's also this development of AI models, of libraries, and who's going to be able to develop those the fastest, deploy them to customers in a way that they get value. I think those companies could have quite an advantage.
Yeah, I mean, we talk about AI, and it sort of seems like it's a secular shift despite all this uncertainty in the macroeconomic environment, right? Yes, but everybody's not going to win, right? Like, we're in that stage, kind of like the metaverse a year or two ago, where everybody's got to work it into their press release, into their earnings commentary. But the metaverse wasn't real. It wasn't a good narrative. AI is real, but not every AI is going to pan out. So that's the work for investors. That's the work for us, for you, and the work that you're doing on space and defense and all that, for me and tech and enterprise to help investors parse through that, I think. Yeah. Well, great stuff from Vegas today. Safe travels. We'll see you back on set here with me tomorrow. In the meantime, uh, major rally for all of the uh, all of the averages, all the stock averages today. We got claims tomorrow, existing home sales, Walmart. That's going to do it for overtime. Fast Money begins right now.